Hey folks, and welcome back to the Blue Light Podcast. So I'm Brendan from Blue Light, and as you probably well know if you've been listening to these podcasts for a while, you'll know that for the past 32 years I've been doing coaching and supporting in the police service, as well as being a serving officer for three decades. Uh, but since then, I've been focusing in particular on those people who want to join the police. So there's now, oh my goodness, it's probably getting on for 5,000 people are in the service as a result of the support I've provided. What an honour that is. Anyway, so the way I do this is I make sure that anything to do with police recruitment is my business. I spend hours every day scanning what forces are doing, listening to what you say in the Blue Light Facebook support group. So if you're not part of that, by the way, you know, check the link in this podcast blurb and I'll point you towards that group. There are almost 12,000 members of that group now. Can you believe it? I think when I started doing these podcasts, I talked about there being almost 10,000. We've now got almost 12,000. How long will it be before we have 20,000 people? Uh, last month, just over 40,000 comments, posts, and reactions. 40,000. Oh, my goodness. What a group that is absolutely focused on police recruitment nothing else they don't get distracted it's just about police recruitment about your future so what we're going to talk about today well one of the things in my scanning that i found of interest is this massive variance in what's required to get into the police depending on what part of the country you're applying to join so at this moment in time there's already 43 police forces in uh, just england and wales and then we've got British Transport Police, we've got the Civil Nuclear Constabulary, we've got the Ministry of Defence Police, and then when we go north of the border, we've got Police Scotland, uh, we've got the Police Service of Northern Ireland, and if we want to really go for it, we've got the States of Jersey and Guernsey, Isle of Man Police, and even the cathedrals and minsters have their own police service. Can you believe that, that York Minster, where we live up here up in York, we've got its own police force, one inspector, one sergeant, ten constables. And they do recruit. So um, you'd, you'd be thinking that there'd be a standardised process, wouldn't you? No, there isn't. So the College of Policing have tried to standardise the assessment process to varying degrees of success. And at this moment in time, they've brought out an online assessment process because of COVID-19. And can I share with you, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I'm just amazed that there's no human interaction in that process. The whole of that process is so formulaic, I could coach and support my 12-year-old daughter to pass it. And that is a good thing and a bad thing. This is a real double-edged sword. So if you're applying to the police, it's a great thing because all you need to do is follow a template. It is so formulaic. I've worked out exactly what's needed to pass every stage of that online assessment process, not by asking people what happened. I'd never do that. Everyone signs a confidentiality agreement. And actually, this morning, someone did say to me, um, I'll share the questions in stage three if you want. And my response was, no, not interested. If you do that, you're breaching your confidentiality agreement. That is a massive integrity issue. No, I do this because I can work backwards. I look at the competency and values framework and work out exactly what they're looking for based on the guidance that they provide, based on the role profile that they've given you. So it's very transparent. You just need to know how to work backwards, get the competences, the values, the behaviours involved at the right level, work backwards, and then start 
constructing uh, assessment instruments similar to the ones that they've constructed. So that's what they'll have done. They'll have looked at the different competencies, different values, and they'll have constructed assessment instruments based on those. So that's how it is so formulaic. Now, what I'm finding incredible at the moment is that some forces like West Yorkshire Police, have ditched their in-force interview. Most forces will have an in-force interview because I think they recognise that this national assessment process is so formulaic that you could just be trained to pass it, which is what I do. I don't agree with it. I think it's a bad thing. My beliefs are that the process should be far harder, far more challenging, far more focused on your values, what's in your heart, and what you're going to be able to offer to the service in terms of diversity of thought, your ideas, innovation, change, all the things that are required, except that these online assessment processes and the ones before the day one and search just required you to behave not naturally and not being yourself, but being the ideal perfect candidate. And you can actually train yourself to be the ideal perfect candidate. But when it comes to force interviews, this is where the variation happens. But like I said, One Force West Yorkshire Police has already decided that they're going to take people on just based on the online assessment process, which means that the first time a candidate will speak to another police officer about the role will be on their first day when they walk through the door. No one will have spoken to them until that point, except to say maybe for the medical or the fitness. Um you know, breathe in, breathe out. But then again, a lot of forces are doing self-declaration for their medicals and then they're doing a medical once you arrive and start. And a lot of forces are also doing film yourself doing the bleep test and you'll do another bleep test when you actually join. So it's conceivable now that people can join the police service without ever speaking to anyone, which is bizarre. Don't you think that's bizarre? I think it's just... I don't know. I just I can't get my head round it. I can't get my head round the fact that we are investing in individuals when we have no idea what's going on inside their heads. We have no idea what's going on in terms of their values. This is going to so backfire. West Yorkshire Police, what are you thinking? What is going through your heads? Anyway, West Yorkshire Police used to be one of the hardest forces to get into because they had a really, really challenging in-force interview that came after the search assessment centre and so that's what i'd like to talk a little bit more about now is that variance and i'm finding incredible variance at the moment i'll give you some examples of this so for the detective direct entry uh we've had one force just had reported from a client who said that it was 30 minute interview it was really clinical really cold they just asked me questions. They didn't probe. They just asked me a question from the competency and values framework. I gave them an answer. They didn't react. There's no greeting. There's no welcome. There's no, why do you want to be a detective? There was no, what values do you think are important? What challenges do you think you'll face? What do you think your role will involve? There was none of that. Just really cold clinical questions, which surprised me a little bit, really, because I would have thought that if you were interviewing people to be direct entry detectives, you'd be looking for some really special people. A force just down the road. I'm not going to name and shame forces, by the way, but there's a force just down the road. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to praise this force because one of my clients who I was doing some one-to-one coaching with came back to me and said, what a delight that interview was. 
Now, she was really nervous because she's uh, mid-career, so she's changing from one career to another. Um, she's had, had children, she's been a successful mum, successful volunteering, successful in a previous uh, role, and now she wants to be a detective. And she came back and said she really enjoyed the interview. Uh, they were very friendly. They talked about values. They talked about challenges. They talked about previous experiences. Uh, they talked about what the role would involve. Uh, there was some laughing and joking. There was an entry exercise where she had to work out what was urgent, what was important, what was both, uh, what she could delegate, what she needed some support with, what she had to prioritise, threat, harm, risk. These are all well-trodden well-used models for entry exercises and you know she's not got the result yet but i'm absolutely convinced she's walked it whereas the other candidate who had the 30 minute clinical cold interview got told she'd pass straight after so i don't get that i don't get it because they're still going to be direct entry detectives and they're still going to be working in the police and the forces aren't that different but why is the process so so different so we go to other forces and find that whether it be for direct entry detective or police constable, you're having to do presentations, even presentations online. So recently, topical um, topics for the, con uh, for the presentations, 10-minute presentations have been knife crime, community engagement, what values are important to this force and what values are important to you. And then you'll be quizzed by the interview panel about your presentation. I kind of like that because you get a feel for, can this person actually talk to people? Because in the online assessment process, there's no human interaction, nothing. So it's just a test of how well you are able to apply a template. You know, I show you what to do. You do the hard work. Um, and, you know, this, I think, when you have a presentation, gets over that because you, you start to get a real feel for what this person's like, and then you can ask them questions, and you can probe, and you find out there's a little bit of depth behind them. Let me go to some other forces as well. Some other forces are starting to do situationals. This is where they will give you a scenario and ask you, so how would you deal with this? Recently, here's an interesting one for you. This will give you something to think about. Situational... Um, question that was posed to a candidate where they said to them that you've got to deliver a death message you're going to deliver a death message now this is one of the hardest things you're going to do as a police officer dealing with dead people is really difficult because it's someone's mother it's someone's father it's someone's brother sister son daughter it's always tragic it's always difficult it's always painful um, only on one occasion i've ever delivered a death message where it was actually painful for me because the relative just said, first thing they said was, how much money's in the house? And I just thought, what? <laughs> uh, that really upset me. Um, but for the rest of the time, there's tears, there's anguish. It's very, very difficult to manage. And so the situation they gave this candidate was that um, it was a relative that had died and had died in significant pain. You know, it was a, uh, an agonising death. Um, they didn't die peacefully. It was um, a death that involved a lot of pain and a lot of agony. And so the question they asked the candidate when he said, this is how I think I'd deliver it, was, so if they ask you, so was it a peaceful death, what would you say? And the candidate said, ah, I think, yeah, I think I'd tell them that it was peaceful. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't want to upset them by saying it was an agonising death. It was a, it was 
painful. No, I'd tell them that it was peaceful. And they failed him based on that. They failed him. Because even though he was trying to be kind in that situational answer, even though he was trying to think about their feelings, he still told a lie. And that's something which we've got to get our heads around, that if someone asks us a question, we've got to answer it. You know, it's it's there in the code of ethics, transparency, accountability, honesty. And so he told a lie. And a lie, even though it had good meaning, well-meaning behind it, is still a lie. I've said this before, your first duty is to the truth. And so you need to tell the truth at all times. And what they wanted to hear was how how he managed, how would you manage to deliver that message that it was a painful death? How would you manage to do that? Everyone's going to deliver it in a different way. There's no right or wrong, but there is the truth. And so that is really, really interesting. What a development that is um, in terms of situational questions. A lot more challenging than one of your colleagues accepts a burger at a fast food joint and doesn't pay for it. How would you deal with that? Or uh, you're at the scene of a crime, it's a sweet shop, and uh, it's four o'clock in the morning and, and your colleague takes a Mars bar and starts eating it. Or, a, 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 you know, some comment is made about someone who is a lesbian or gay in the workplace by a fellow colleague, and it's inappropriate. How are you going to deal with it? So those are all quite straightforward, but situationals where they're putting, in, putting you in that kind of thing, you know, delivering a death message, that's a real challenging one. I like that force. Any force that does that kind of thing is getting right to the heart of your values. Really testing who you are and what you stand for. So there's all sorts of other varieties I can talk about another time. Uh, Northumbria Police, they will only ask you about four different things. Leadership, vulnerability, resilience and teamwork. And so there's a lot to prepare there in terms of your understanding of those challenges, what the force is doing about them, and also times when you may have demonstrated leadership or when you've supported someone who's vulnerable or when you've demonstrated resilience or when you've been part of an effective team so every force has got its own thing and one of the things that you need to do is make sure you're aware of what that thing is if you're going for an in-force interview i'm not going to call it the final interview anymore because a lot of the time these interviews are happening before the online assessment process now or at the same time So some of my clients have been told you've got your in-force interview and your online assessment process all happening at the same time. And that's a real challenge because there's a lot to prepare for. Be aware of what they're probably going to ask you about, but be prepared to answer any type of question. Because the force that was asking the questions about the sudden death, they didn't used to ask situational questions. And suddenly this week they've started. Next week, they might stop. They might ask a different type of question. They might decide to use presentations. They might decide to use an in-tray exercise. Who knows? Because the thing is, forces can turn things around on a sixpence. College of Policing would have to have a working group, working party. It would take a month to develop something. Lots of evaluation. This could just be a chief inspector saying, do you know, I think we should do in-tray exercises. Do you know, I think they should do a presentation so that we can really get a sense of who they are. And forces can do that. So be ready for that, folks. Be ready for that sudden change, sudden change in direction. So what else can we talk about this week? Well, linked to that, linked to that, um, difficult things that you've got to deal with in the workplace, trauma, telling people about uh, times when they've 
their relatives passed away, dealing with dead people, um, dealing with trauma. I've talked about this before that, you know, most people will experience five or six traumatic events in their life. Police officers will experience about 600 traumatic incidents in their career. It's the trauma of other people because you live within it, you experience it, you share the tears, you share the anguish, you share the pain. Very, very difficult. And it's great to see that the service is starting to really, really recognise that this is a significant challenge. And chief officers um, are putting their, 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 their shoulders behind it. Um, because recently an organisation called Oscar Kilo, well worth looking up this, folks. Look up their website, Oscar Kilo. If you just put into Google Oscar Kilo Police, it'll bring it up. They surveyed 34,000 police officers, and here were some of the results. Talk about them a little bit, because they're really, really interesting. Almost half of the people who surveyed said they're getting less than six hours sleep a day. They're not talking about it necessarily as a night, because as a police officer, you're working shifts. Yes, you work shifts. So it's during the day, during the evening, during the night time, whenever you manage to get to sleep, you might not finish work till three in the morning. Your sleep patterns are going to be all over the place. Less than six hours. It's just not enough. And I can so relate to that because, you know, certainly towards the end of my career, I was finding night shifts really difficult not because of the night shift, but because I just wasn't sleeping. I could, couldn't sleep during the day. Sometimes I'd have two or three hours sleep and I'd get to work and I'd feel so jet-lagged and I'd be surviving on coffee, which isn't a good thing. Trust me, that's not a good thing. So there's a, there's something interesting for you. Uh, and this all links in, by the way, because at your interview, you may well be asked, what impact is being a police officer going to have on your personal life? Now, you can go off in so many different directions there, but certainly referring to research, I think, will stand you in good stead because it shows that you've done something to find out more about the role and more about the impact it's going to have on you. So the other thing they found that was um, those people involved in safeguarding and investigations have a lower levels of well-being. This links in with the reason why forces are actually looking for direct entry detectives. Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, being a detective used to be the most Gucci job in the service. Honestly, when I first joined, I wanted to be a de detective. I became a detective eventually, and I've been a detective in two different forces, uh, both in Cheshire and in Bermuda, where I worked in Special Branch. It was just amazing, by the way. That's another story for another time. Um, but over the years, it's become less and less popular. When I was in Cheshire, there was a, it was like form an orderly queue. You're like number 25. It's going to be two years before you're even considered for a position in the CID. But now they're having to advertise externally for people to go in as a direct entry detective. And this is because people in service don't want to do the role. Why don't they? Well, because the survey finds here, and this is not news, new news, it's old news, it's just reinforcing it, that those who are involved in safeguarding and investigations, detectives, are reporting far lower levels of well-being. Now, this doesn't surprise me because there's a massive workload. You're dealing with very, very traumatic incidents all the time. It's a really tough role, really tough challenge. But what I'm pleased to see is that there's many forces are stepping up to this challenge. Uh, those people who I know who have joined as direct entry detectives, I don't want to put you off here. They're reporting back that the force has just been amazing in terms of the support that they're being given. 
they've got mentors they've got a sergeant who's super supportive i'm really pleased to hear about that because one of my concerns was that the joiners direct entry detectives last a year or two as a detective and then just go forget it i'm I'm going into uniform or actually i'm leaving so all of that investment in that individual would have been um, not a waste of time it's never a waste of time but it just wouldn't pay dividends in terms of the service that um they'll be looking for for you to provide uh, other areas just interestingly custody no surprise there um, i worked as a custody officer for 18 months uh, that's the sergeant in charge of the custody suite what a challenging job that is especially as you just don't get to see the, the light of day or even the the dark of darkness really really challenging role so no surprises there but here's the good news, folks. 65% of everyone who was surveyed said they were satisfied with their role. The majority trusted, felt as though they were trusted and felt as though they could make choices which affected, which reflected their beliefs and values. And they all said, uh, the majority said there's a high level of um, uh, competence and uh, they feel valued and they feel um, effective. So there's a lot of real positives there. There's, there's a lot of organisations, huge number of organisations, which would love to have survey results like that. But again, there's a lot of work to do as well to make sure that the well-being of officers is catered for. So there you go, folks. Uh, a little roundup of some of the news from this week. I hope you found it of interest. Um, I'm going to keep focusing on what forces are doing um, right across the country right across the United Kingdom. And if you're listening to this from some other part of the world, please do get in touch. It's uh, info at bluelightconsultancy.com. I would love to hear about what your recruitment process involves. So far, I've heard about recruitment processes in Canada, the United States, Australia, New Zealand. Keep them rolling in, folks. And I'll see what advice I can provide for you. Certainly join the Facebook group. I would say now probably about 5% of everyone in that 12,000 are from different parts of the world, not the United Kingdom. And that's really refreshing to see. I'd love it if it had more of a sort of international feel. Uh, Certainly some photographs of uh, a candidate who's succeeded in the British Virgin Islands. Um, uh, Some photographs of him in his passing out parade or soon after he joined the station. They went down really well in the group. Lots of people saying, how can I join? How can I join? I think what the the thing they didn't like was they found out that you've got to actually be a resident of the British Virgin Islands and actually be a lawful resident. So you've got residency in those islands. But great to see, great to see different parts of the world, what the recruitment process involves. And certainly uh, seeing in real life, this is this is my station. This is my beat. And it was really, really interesting to see. So keep them rolling in, folks. Um, and certainly join the group. This is where it's all happening. This is where the discussions happen. Like I said, last month, just over 40,000 comments, uh, reactions um, and posts. Just incredible. Just absolutely incredible. Over 40,000. I'm not even going to try and work out what that is a day. Lots. <laughs> Lots. All right, folks. Well, listen, um, it's been a super delight to bring you this news this week. I hope you're looking forward to the next podcast. Oh, oh before I forget, oh, there's two things I need to tell you about. In the Facebook group, my weekly, weekly webinar. I did the first one last week because uh, I, I do Facebook Lives all the time. But I thought, do you know, I'm going to do something special for the people in the group. And so last week I did this webinar that just went down a storm, sharing some of the techniques that are going to enable you to be successful. 
and it was so well received i got such brilliant feedback from it i'm going to do another one this week so there's one this friday coming up at five o'clock uh if you're thinking actually i'm listening to this a week after the podcast don't worry there's one every week just see the posts inside the facebook group and you'll be able to register for those webinars another webinar i'm really pleased to be doing is one about success and fulfillment in your career so once you've got that warrant card in your pocket then what because for a lot of forces a lot of forces are really good at, at, at helping your career and developing it and some are just dreadful and there's some that are just in between a bit of a lucky dip really so um, i've got two fabulous people who are going to join me on a webinar this week i've got superintendent ben hewitt from uh, greater manchester police and uh, neil james the director of an organization called be selected police these individuals are just outstanding at helping people to have the most amazing successful and fulfilling careers there is a difference between success and fulfillment and we'll talk about that in the webinar so if you want to find out more about that join us in the facebook group or if you're already in the facebook group look out for my posts i'll post something about it every day on the lead up to the webinar so you've got no excuse for not joining us and once you register you'll be able to get a recording of it so in case you miss it you'll be able to download a recording of it just for you all right folks well listen i shall look forward to seeing you seeing i keep saying seeing you don't i i look forward to speaking with you to you in next week's podcast until then uh, keep yourself safe look after yourself look after your colleagues and look after your family i'll speak to you soon bye-bye for now